0: I'm going to be bringing part of the sermon, but uh, I also have a guest speaker that we're going to be listening to on the audio, who's going to be bringing uh, parts of another same concept of the sermon. And his name is Frank Phillips. How many have heard of Frank Phillips? Okay, he has uh, written a book entitled His Robe or Mine. How many have heard of this book before? If you did receive that book, there was an audio in there. And that audio is what I'm using today as parts of the message. Just give me a minute here. The message today is called The Circle of Faith. And uh, Frank Phillips is our guest speaker. So at this time, we will listen to parts of his message today, right off the bat.
1: The handouts mentioned in this presentation, as well as a book written by Frank Phillips, can be viewed or printed from this cd by following the instructions on track thirteen please feel free to copy and share
2: when you came in this evening you uh, received a handout and I'd just like to ask you to take that in your hand now because it's going to be necessary for us to do just a little explaining this handout really isn't directly connected with the service tonight, but indirectly it is. But it is a handout that will require a lot of study, but one that you'll receive a great blessing from. It took us a long time to work this up, and I'm sure that uh, as you study it you'll see that it uh, truly has some meat in it. It is built on the basis of the text that you find on the top arrow, Proverbs 23:26. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. It's built on the basis of actually God begins from the inside and works outward, And Satan always works from the outside in, exactly opposite. And on this basis, we find that the top arrow here is depicting God's method of working. He bypasses these circles and goes right directly to the heart. Each of those circles represents a resistance barrier a resistance barrier that Satan sets up. For you see, when actually an individual hears the call of God, contrary to what we normally think, the devil whispers in the ear of the individual who becomes serious about giving his heart to the Lord and says, yes, that's exactly what you ought to do. You ought to give your heart to the Lord. And then he says, let me show you how. You didn't know that? Well, Ellen White says that in every evangelistic campaign, while God is bringing true converts into the Church, Satan is bringing unconverted souls into the Church. And believe me, we'll show you in the next five meetings how that Satan has been very successful. Now what actually happens, you see, when actually an individual decides that they want to give their heart to the Lord, the devil says, now the way to do this is to get busy for God. And the outside circle here you'll notice is an activity ring. At the top of the page you'll notice there that under the heading, God's method of imparting the divine nature to man is righteousness by faith. God has only one way of imparting his divine nature to man, and that's through righteousness by faith. However, the devil has a substitute, and so he says now get busy for God. And if he can keep a person who is interested in or who has given their heart to the Lord and thinks they have, if he can keep them busy in activities, he's happy. And there are many, many Christian people today who are very busy for, to, uh, doing things for God, so busy that they have not yet learned how to live for God. For you see, it's much easier to do for God than it is to be for God, and there's a vast difference. To actually do for God, in truth, keeps self very much alive. But to be for God crucifies self. And the devil doesn't want us to know this, and he doesn't want us to enter into that kind of an experience, so he keeps you busy doing things that we consider to be actually good things. Now, you'll notice within the circle, each of these circles, there are two verses of scripture and one activity, consecration, work, Bible study, kindness, all of these things, and Satan promotes these just as much as God does. You'll remember, of course, that as he worked with Christ, he was constantly quoting Scripture. And he has done this all down through the ages of time, working with human beings. And so you'll find that at the bottom of the page is the key. Satan's plan is not underlined. God's plan to the right of each is underlined. Now, there comes a time in every person's life when activity does not suffice, and so they say there must be something more to religion than this. And so the devil takes them in then to the next circle, and that's the circle of emotions, emotionalism. And it may surprise you, but it is an actual fact that probably, without doubt, 90 to 95 percent of the Christian world live their religious life in their emotions. And the most recent charismatic movement is a demonstration of the effectiveness of this program, for it is swept through every solitary organization, including the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we have many charismatics within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, whether we believe it or not. I come from an area where there is a strong charismatic movement that has grown in five years from about 300 members to 3,000 members. And last Sabbath, one week ago. This Church had grown to the point where they held four services on every Sunday. They were having so many Seventh-day Adventists attend these services that they started their first Sabbath service last Sabbath to accommodate Seventh-day Adventists. Now, don't ever fool yourself. This is making an impact in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, emotional religion based on satisfying self, pleasing self, feeling good. This is Satan's plan. But if there comes a time in an individual's life when they say, well, that's not enough, I mean there must be something more than this to religion, the devil still has one circle to hold them in. And that's the inner circle, and you'll notice that that circle is feelings, senses, one of the five senses. It's in this area where Satan takes the individual, and it's there that they become fanatics. Every fanaticism is built on one of the five senses. Out of proportion, yes. But once a person becomes a fanatic in any one of these areas, it's extremely difficult to actually touch them. Now you'll notice the top arrow, God goes directly to the heart and works out from the heart and actually begins with the five senses. And from that spreads on to the emotions and to the activity this is God's plan, exactly the reverse of Satan's. Now, at the bottom of the page you'll notice that Satan's arrow never reaches the heart. His plan never does get to the heart, for Satan works through the senses. That's why Ellen White says that we need to guard well the avenues to the soul. And then she defines this by telling us that the avenues to the soul are the five senses. This is the devil's playground. And Satan makes us feel. Makes us feel religious. Makes us feel happy. Makes us feel any way he chooses to make us feel. And this becomes the substitute to the true thing. I'd like to have you... Take this chart and at your leisure study it and you'll discover some of the hidden secrets of Satan's method of actually working.
0: I hope it was quite clear what Frank Phillips was speaking about with that circle, and I think he did a pretty good job of it. Now, if you get the book and you get the CD, you can download these onto your computer and you can make prints and copies of it so you can see it up closer, but senses and emotionalism. Proverbs 21.4 says, a high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proverbs 28.25, he that is of proud heart stirs up strife, but he that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, in Matthew 15, 8. This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Satan's plan versus God's plan. Righteousness by works is Satan's counterfeit of perfecting the human nature such as being involved with a lot of activities, feeling emotionalism with worship services, and so on and so forth. You're feeling good about the Lord, and then working in your senses. Righteousness by faith is the method that God uses to impart the divine nature of man. As you notice in the picture, God always penetrates the heart. And then he goes to the outward circles, works on the senses and the emotions and then the activities. So as you can see, God's way is better. Jesus lived and died for our sins. This is what draws us to him. With his word, we can open up to the book of Mark. Matthew 1.16 says, And Jacob became the father of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is to be called Christ. This tells us that Jesus was born of the flesh, but he was also divine. Luke 1.26-35 is known as Mary's song. If you'd like to turn there. And look over those verses real quick. It says, And it was revealed... And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored of the Lord, is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast her mind with what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. The message today is on who? Jesus, right? Before I even had to read this verse, it was on Jesus from the very beginning. Isaiah 53, our scripture reading, covered the life of Jesus. Hope and faith sang a beautiful song about how they love Jesus. should be our same song, how we love Jesus. Because he is our strength, he is our salvation. Verse 32, He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So here we have Jesus being born in the womb of Mary, who is flesh, but she was not inseminated with human, man, or male, or sperm species. It was for the divine Godhead that she was inseminated with. So this makes Christ divine above the human nature of man, but also makes him human nature because he was born in Mary's womb. Luke 2, verses 4 to 14 records, this is what we read usually during the Christmas season, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth onto Judea, onto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of the lineage of David. Being a lineage David means that it came from further forefathers, Abraham's seed, David's seed, down through. So he is in the lineage of Abraham. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, and so it was... That while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swallowing clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And he shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to be God in the highest, and on on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So he came. Jesus lived a life as God required of him. Jesus lived, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. This is what he said to the people who gathered that day in the synagogue. This is his first public preaching event. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the glorious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Again, reflecting that Jesus was also human because he came to be known as Joseph's son and also being born of Mary. Mary. And that is in Luke 4, 16 to 22. Jesus suffered and died. This is the time in which we think about the birth, but we also think about this time of the year around Easter, that he had suffered and died for the sins of the world. And as we looked in Isaiah chapter 53 today, that's some of the suffering that he experienced. So he can relate to us as human beings in the suffering that he experienced at the Garden of Gethsemane is where he actually started coming to say, Lord, it is not my will to be done, but it is whose will? His will to be done. It's not what I want to do. I want you to do what you need to do through me. We are just servants for him. And that's the same attitude that Jesus had. Again, our scripture reading was Isaiah 53. And we're not going to go into that because we read it earlier. But just to point out that Jesus did suffer many consequences. He was whipped. He was spat upon. He had his beard tugged. He was made fun of. He was pushed around like some wimp. And always Satan was whispering in his ear, if thou be the son of God, show yourself that you are divine. And this is the temptation that Jesus had to avoid. He couldn't, come up and say, I am God, I'm going to cast you away forever, or that your sin is not going to be forgiven by God because you don't accept me. No, he wasn't kind of like the attitude like that. He was a servant. And when he presented the message, any message, any servant on the mountain, he always referred to his heavenly father, that this is not my will, it is from the throne of grace, a throne of mercy. And that is why we come to know Jesus, because this is his main Focus in life. He did many other things too, but because of his sacrifice, I should say, sacrifices, he didn't ride around in a chariot all the time saying, I'm this and that, or he didn't do a lot of things that people think that he should have done. And they wondered if he was truly the Son of God or wasn't he. But we know from Scripture that he was a humble servant of God and he said, that it's not my will that shall be done, but it is his will, God's will. So Jesus, being human, his most difficult task was not to show his divinity. He did show it, but when he showed it, did he just poof it? No, he said to the people, he did a lot of miracle healings. What did he say? Your faith, right? Your faith has healed you. Believe, and it shall be so. This is not from me, this is from my heavenly Father. This is the message Jesus always said with the lepers. He healed the lepers, but he told them to go do something faithfully, and they followed through. And as you know, one of the ten lepers, only one came back and thanked him, but the others were healed as well. So here we have always Jesus referring to God as the power, not Jesus himself being the power. And we as humans were born in the sinful nature. And with our sinful nature, our biggest struggle is to avoid temptation. Being not in the divine nature, our human nature is born sinful, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, I believe it is, around in there, where our nature is born sinful. And because of that, Our greatest temptation is to avoid falling into temptation. Jesus' greatest temptation was to avoid being divine out of his own self-righteous glory. And he gained victory for both. And he asked us faithfully to come to him. And as he rose from the dead, he faithfully penetrates our hearts, believing that, yes, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Do you? Or is it something, some fable in the Bible? I personally believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead for my sins. He has penetrated my heart. Has he penetrated your heart? Is my question today. I hope he has. I hope that the message today was a message of hope and a determined effort to go forward. So here we have the divine nature. Of our faith, believing in Christ, that's what makes us righteous. Not by what we can do, what we experience, but we believe that Jesus did everything for us, for me. I believe this. And because of that, I claim righteousness by faith. I'm not perfect, and neither is anybody else in this room. And we need to realize that as a first step to coming to Jesus. Frank Phillips has some more messages for us at this time.
2: I was holding a series of meetings in a city in Portland, Oregon, and I met the girl, the lady, who actually this experience had happened to again after three years of time. And I discovered her to be a rejoicing Loving, lovable Christian. You see, for a number of years I served in the prayer and counseling committee at camp meeting. And there we had various individuals come and seek counsel and advice, and there was a young lady about 26 years of age who came about three years ago, and I went with her into the council room, and we began to talk. She told me her family was breaking up. There was no way it could be welded together. On her lap was a three-month-old child. She had a three-year-old girl by her side, and she said, This little baby on my lap was our last effort to weld our family together, but this has failed. We've sought... Marriage counselors, we've been everywhere. There's nothing to do but to break up our home. I prayed with her, and she went back to her tent. This was repeated for three days. Each time she told a little more detail of what the problem was, and when she came back on Thursday, she said, I wish there would be something that could be done. I said, are you ready to break your home up? She said, no, I really am not. I said, are you willing to pay any price to hold it together? She said, I think so. I had on some cards this paragraph, which I take to be the most potent paragraph in the entire writings of Ellen G. White. I've seen it work miracles in homes. I've seen it save lives. I've seen it Weld families back together even after they have been, there has been a divorce. It's found in Mount of Blessing, page 71. You may find it on page 84 or 110, depending upon the edition that you have. But it reads this way, The Father's presence encircled Christ, and nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. Here was his source of comfort and it is for us. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. The blow that is aimed at him falls upon Christ the Savior, who surrounds him with his presence. Whatever comes to him, that is, to the man, comes from Christ. He has no need to resist evil, for Christ is his defense. Nothing can touch him except by our Lord's permission. I'm sure that you didn't get all that this paragraph contains, but let me just refresh your mind to a couple of points. We are told that Christ accepted everything as coming from whose hands? The Father's. You mean when they spat in his face he accepted this as coming from his Father? Are you ready to go that far? You mean when they plaited a crown of thorns and put it upon his brow and crushed it down and the blood coursed down his face, he accepted that as coming from his Father? You mean when they took him to the hill in Nazareth and tried to push him off, he accepted this as coming from his Father? Yes. Every solitary experience that he experienced, He accepted as coming directly from his Father. And here was his source of comfort, and it is for us. When Christ's robe of his righteousness surrounds us, he only parts it and allows to come through that which is for our best good. I said to this girl, I want you to take this Take it to your tent, read it, come back tomorrow. She came back on Friday. I said, Have you read it? She said, Yes. Are you willing to follow the principles in that single paragraph? She said, I don't know. I'm not sure. I wish you could talk to my husband. She said, He's coming tomorrow. That would have been Sabbath to get me. He wasn't an Adventist. I said, if you can get him to stay, I'll be glad to talk with him. He did stay. She brought him. I talked with both of them. I gave him a card. And I said, I want you to read it right now. He read it. I said, if either one of you will follow this instruction, simply accept this as the principle of your life. Your marriage can be saved. If both of you will follow it, it will be absolutely the most joyous experience you can possibly ever have. Well, I prayed with them, and they left. I didn't know what had happened. The next year, at Camp Meeting, I was walking down one of the trails, and I ran right into this lady. And she said, I've been looking all over for you. I said, Well, uh, now that you've found me, well, what can I do for you? She said, Do you remember when you gave me this counsel and gave me that card? I said, I do remember, for I had forgotten all about it by this time. She said, I want to tell you what happened. I said, Wonderful. Tell me, did you actually apply this? She said, I left this campground with a determination that I was going to accept everything that touched my life, everything as coming directly from Jesus' hand. I said, Wonderful. How did it go? She said, for the first three months, it was hell. And those were the exact words she used. She said, I thought I was living with the devil. I have never seen my husband act so mean and ornery and devilish in his whole life. But then, she said, after three months, something began to change. And she said, I'm not sure yet whether it was in me or whether it was in him. But something began to change, and she said after another three months had passed, we were enjoying the sweetest relationship we'd ever had in our married life. We had never ever experienced anything like this. Why? She said everything was just as though heaven had opened up. But she said I knew that the devil was not going to let this last very long. But she said it lasted for. Quite a while. And then she said, that baby that I held in my lap died. I wasn't ready for this. I had accepted everything as coming from Jesus, but I wasn't ready for this. You see, it wasn't that the baby died, but it was the way the baby died that really made it so hard. I said, tell me about it. Well, she said, my husband and I decided that we would go for a ride in the hills. We had done this many times, and we left the baby with his mother. She's quite old. And nothing had happened. Everything was fine. So we took the baby over to her, left the baby with her, now a child of about 11 months of age. And we took the baby over to her, left it with her, And she said Grandma had forgotten that she, and she left her pills on the end of the Davenport where she laid the baby. And she went across the room, began to read, and the baby was lying there, had fallen asleep. And when the baby awakened, she didn't pay any attention. The baby crawled over, and she just saw the baby grab a a handful of those pills and swallow them. And it so frightened her that she panicked and froze in her chair. She simply couldn't move. She couldn't say. She couldn't do anything. And she said, when my husband and I came back, we saw the baby lying on the Davenport in a coma. We picked the baby up, saw saw the box of pills, picked the box up, and Grandma was still sitting in the chair. And we rushed that baby to the hospital, and within an hour the baby died. You see, she said it was difficult because within just a few hours the members of the Church began to come and sympathize with me. And they sympathized, and their sympathy I accepted. And this happened one day, two days, three days. And after three days of accepting their sympathy, I began to feel the same old feelings that I had when I came to visit you at camp meeting, the same old resentments, the same old feelings coming back into my heart. And she said, I began to realize that I had failed the Lord. I had pledged to him that I would accept everything that touched my life as coming from Jesus, but I had not accepted this. He said, I rushed from the front room into the bedroom, I fell on my knees, and I said, Lord, I failed you, I'm disappointed. Please, please forgive me. I will accept the death of my baby as coming from your hands. You know what you're doing, I don't. I don't enjoy it, I don't like it, but I know that you know what you're doing, and in good time you'll let me know. She said, I got up from my knees, walked out into the front room, and the doorbell rang within a few minutes' time, and another lady came in to sympathize. She said, I put my hand up, and I said, I don't want to appear to be rude. Please, please don't sympathize with me. You see, I gave my life to Jesus a year ago, and I gave my baby's life to Jesus a year ago. We are in his hands. He knows what he's doing. I don't. So please, will you just get down with me and thank him for actually working in our lives rather than sympathize with me? She said, we got down and we prayed. And the lady left immediately after the prayer. And there were only just a few more that came because it soon got noised about that I didn't want sympathy. Well, this went on for three weeks. Then she said, the doorbell rang, and I went to the door, and there was Mother, my husband's mother and father. And they said, may we come in? And she said, yes, of course. And when they came in, they said, dear, we've been watching you, watching you for a whole year something's happened you're not the same girl you were a year ago and we've watched you especially since the little baby died and we've seen no resentment in you we don't understand it at all but we want to tell you something you see when we were teenagers we were members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church but since we were married, neither one of us has ever been inside of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Never. Our son was reared out of the Church entirely. But if God can do in you what he's done in you in one year's time, then he can do it in us, too. We're going to come back to the Church. She said two months ago mother and dad were baptized, born again. They have a new life. But she said, that's not all. She said, after they were baptized, my husband came home one day and he said, honey, he said, you're not the girl that I married. If God can do in mother and dad what he's done in them, and if he can do what he's done in you, then he can do it in me also. And she said, one week ago, my husband was baptized, a born-again Christian. Now, she said, I understand. For she said in the earth made new, I'm going to have my baby, my little girl, my husband, my wife, my husband and my mother and my father. His parents. She said, I understand now that God works in marvelous ways His wonders to perform. And she said, I just want you to pray with me that I will never forget this lesson, to accept absolutely everything. And accepted as coming from Jesus, and to give God thanks.
1: You have just listened to a sermon titled, How Good is Perfect? This is the number three sermon of nine, given by Frank Phillips, called The Justified Walk. The circle handout, as well as the rest of the series, and a book written by Frank Phillips entitled, His Robe or Mine, will be shipped to you at no cost by calling 269-471-9224. That's 269-471-9224 or writing Justified Walk Ministries at Post Office Box 233, Berrien Springs, Michigan, 49103. You can view, download, or listen to the sermons free on our website at www.justifiedwalk.com and our email address is justifiedwalk at justifiedwalk.com the circle handout in the book his rover mine can be seen on this cd by putting this cd in your computer and clicking on start next click on my computer then Right-click on the drive that the CD is in, then click the Explore CD icon, and the files for the handout and the book will appear. You can read or print from your computer just by opening the files. There are two other series by Frank Phillips, The Branch and the Vine, which is a six-part series, and Righteousness by Faith, a ten-part series. Both can be listened to or downloaded from the web, or call 269-471-9224. The book is also available in Spanish, Portuguese, and Chinese. This message must be taken to a lost and dying world. You can help by copying and sharing this CD with friends and family. Pray that God would guide you as to how and who to share it with. If you need CDs and books to share, please call us. There is no charge. If God lays it on your heart to help financially, follow the leading of his Holy Spirit. The number three CD is also available in Spanish. Please copy and share this CD. May God bless and keep you for we cannot keep ourselves.
0: Amen. There's a lot of other information on that website, too. So I would highly uh, encourage you to take a look at that. Everything is free on there. There's a few other sermon presentations on there. There's also a series of music and song on there by, I believe her name is Kim Clark, who also shares some testimonies about a relationship with her husband and so forth and so on. So www.justifiedwalk.com is the website to go to. And everything on there, feel free to download, listen to, whatever. And everything's free of charge. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the message that we have received today, shared with Frank Phillips and the scriptures. And we pray that our Holy Spirit will continue to comfort us and lead us and give us that justified walk. Bless our rest Sabbath, Lord. Help us to enjoy to its fullest potential, resting in Jesus and in his truth and claiming righteousness by faith alone in Jesus Christ, who is my Savior and Lord as it is yours.